Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And I bet you're just like me, and the day can't start without that first cup of coffee. For me, it's Stout Maple. Old Smoke Coffee's darkest roast. Strong, aromatic, and smooth. That gets me revved up and ready for whatever the day throws at me. Old Smokes roast their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood used. Old Smokes makes a perfect roast for each person. There are five roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get a free travel bottle on any purchase of $45 of coffee, excluding the Wounded Warriors blend. Just go to oldsmokescoffee.com, that's O-L-E, smokescoffee.com, use the promo code RICH. In these trying times, everybody's trying their best to adapt. Old Smokes is changing the promo rewards every couple of weeks, but every time, from now on, use RICH for the code. RICH will be the only promo code going forward, and what the heck, it's a lot less spelling on that silly phone screen. And now, back to today's show. All right, and we're up and going. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Rich Mellon, and today my guest is in Idaho and is the president of the Idaho Trappers Association, Rusty Kramer. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, appreciate having you. I see you're having a busy spring this year. Yeah, this is a there. Uh, I don't uh, I don't do much for actual real work through the late fall and winter. So I try and uh, make my money when I can through the spring and summer months. So kind of burning the candle at both ends. <laughs> so you are in Idaho. What what part of Idaho? Um, well, we call it Southern Idaho, but if you take the fat part of the bottom of Idaho and stick your finger right in the center, it's almost right dead center in the bottom of, of uh, Idaho, and it's called Fairfield. It's a town of 400. Uh, the county's got about 1,000 in it, so pretty small. And what's your country like there? <laughs> um, we actually have, a, we're blessed to have a few different uh a few different landscapes really close here. So we're, we're a big prairie right at the base of some timber. And so I can have, we have a 72 hour trap check, so I can have three lines and I can have one coyote line up in the high timber, um, one on the, on just farm ground and one not too far from me. That's the high desert. That's just sage and, and rock rims and stuff. That's so, we're, but we're right at the base of a bunch of timber, so it's multi-different uh, landscapes here. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So how did, how did you get started into trapping? Well, um, probably like a lot of people, you end up doing what your, what your father does. So I don't fish. I don't bird hunt. Um, my, my dad never fished or bird hunt. We just at a young age it was trapping a tiny bit of big game hunting but it was just trapping and that's how um never really pushed it on me just uh just going along with him and and just really actually learned to trap by looking over my dad's shoulder when he was uh setting setting coyote sets really at a young age okay that's a, that's always the best way when you can share something like that with your father your father's still alive today yeah, in fact, uh, um, I probably take it for granted, but I still, I still to this day, every day of the season, I trap with my dad. 
Um, and he's still, um, I don't know, maybe he's slowing down a little bit, but he's in his early 70s. I think he's 72 or 73. And still every day of the season, I'm trapping with my dad. So kind of a cool thing. Not a lot of people get to do that. No, that's very, that's very that's cool. Very, that is very cool. So how do you access your trap lines there? Well, um, most of it is by uh, just by pickup and then walking in. Um, when we get into cat season, we do a lot off of a uh, off of a four wheeler, but most of it's pretty easy accessible. Um, the key to running a coyote line is to have been able to put a lot of sets in. So we have access to a lot of public ground, and I have a lot of locked up private ground here as well. So most of it's pretty accessible. I've always wondered about uh, your public uh, trapping in that because there's really no holds bar, right? I mean, anybody can trap right beside you if they want to, or, you know, do, are, are there many issues that way? Um, I mean, I hear of issues right where I'm at. We do, I don't have a whole lot of competition, but uh, with coyote prices this last year, um, I had some people that, that lost quite a bit, quite a few coyotes last year, coyotes and traps. And so you're not only dealing with usually, at least from what I've several hours around me, it's not the trappers that they have to worry about. It's all the elk hunters, deer hunters, just people driving around, that sort of stuff. So it's, they, there is some theft though, for sure. Oh, there's, so hunters would, would stop and, and, uh, grab a coyote if they saw it in a trap is that what there, you're saying there, there's there's some of that or you know you'll you'll get the people that are doing you a favor and shoot it with a 30-06 in the side of the head at three <laughs> feet away thinking they're doing you a favor he's going to get loose you know and uh and now with our with our wolf trap and it's also another thing where there is some theft because uh somebody sees a wolf in a trap and then it's just too tempting not to shoot it and take it out of the trap and keep it for themselves. So, but as far as, as far as uh, what you call no halls barred, I mean, technically someone could go two feet away from your set and set it. And I mean, it'd be a legal set, but I, I really don't hear of anything like that. Usually people are like, Oh, you're in this drainage. I'll just stay out of your area. And people are, Oh, for the most part, very respectful. And I set, especially where there's a lot of competition where we're bobcat set and trapping, I will set the same place. We've been set in the same place since my dad's been setting in the late seventies. And so I don't go, you know, if we're like, Hey, let's venture over to that rim. We don't go in a new area. Cause then we'd be stepping on somebody else's toes and everybody's like, Oh, such and such creek and such and such drainage is where Kramers are at. And so we won't go there and, and people kind of stick to their own areas for the most part. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> you have a, uh, a finite number of trappers or what's your, what's your trappers numbers at? Um, I believe the latest I saw was, it was around 2000 trappers for the state of Idaho. Um, that's how many uh, bought trapping licenses. Now we also have, our trapping licenses doubled um, eight years ago when they started uh, allowing wolf trapping. And so there is a significant amount of people that are just dabbling in the wolf trapping side. So uh, that did increase quite a bit with the, with that change in our uh, 
trapping regulations. On your wolf trapping, is is it uh, as many as you can catch, or do you have a quota or tag system? Um, they are. They were originally listed as a big game species, and we've been slowly getting hunting seasons and expanded trapping seasons every year. That's something that we've been. Uh, our associations working working very aggressively. So now it's um, it's up to thirty tags per person is what you can get. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And last year, I knew of three people that either limited or just about limited out when we were at 20 tags. And so we got the regs changed up to 30 tags per person. You just have to buy one over the counter. They're like $7 for residents, 30 something for non-residents. And you just have to have the tag in your pocket if you uh, want to, if you catch one, then you, you need a tag beforehand to punch the tag. So most of your area then is is uh, coyote, fox, and wolf, like the canines, and some bobcat, I guess, huh? Yeah, where I trap, um, it's it's farm ground. We do have some, like one creek that goes through there, but it's 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 desert country for sure. Um, there's hardly any water where I'm at, and so you kind of do if you know if I lived by a whole bunch of lakes in Minnesota, I'd probably be more of a water trapper. I have dabbled in some some water trapping but yeah mostly it's coyote fox badger and when i'm in the high country wolf and and later on i got to go a little farther south to get in good bobcat country okay mm -hmm. on uh, your when you're when you're trapping those canines and that do you is it all foothold or do you can you snare you know i i haven't became become a very proficient uh snareman and i i, I actually have been looking at some courses to try and learn a little better. Um, so I'm predominantly a foothold guy. We start early in the high country and uh, we move out of the high country when the calendar, we get closer to November, we'll move out of the high country and we'll just keep moving. And when it's, when it's late season, we'll just switch over to straight bobcats. And, and, and so I don't do much snaring at all. Okay. <laughs> What's your weather like in your trapping? Um, we're, I'm kind of unique where I'm at, which makes uh, makes for good furred up coyotes. I mean, it just froze three nights ago. It was I was working on my broke down truck this morning, and it was 39 degrees. So it it freezes every month of the year here. We're kind of a high desert. I'm at I'm at 5,200 feet, but I don't have to go too far to go to uh, 7,500 feet. Um, where I trap and we get quite a bit of snow. Um, usually the snow doesn't come till Thanksgiving or snow. So, but, uh, we'll get three to five feet on the level here with some pretty horrendous drifting as well. Um, but I've only got to go 25 miles South and it's a lot warmer climate. You can get down to 3000, uh, feet and they grow row crops, you know, corn and potatoes and stuff. And so, um, it usually the snow isn't as bad, so we trap the high country, and then when it gets a little later, we'll we'll just go down to the little lower country, and so we're uh, a lot of times in better weather, better conditions. Then you don't have to trap the snow, or we don't have to as bad, but you know we still go through 50 gallons of wax dirt a year. Um, but it's just if I can trap them up where I'm at early, and then save those coyotes for the lower country until you know, Thanksgiving time, then that's, that's all the better. I'll just go down there. I'm kind of like the, uh, 
the sheep herders, I always joke that I follow the sheep herders because they, once the calendar <laughs> starts hitting November, they get out of the high country, whether it's good weather or not. And we're the same way. We've kind of trapped it out. And I've got, I've got more country than I have days of the season to trap. So there's no use in me trying to fight an area if I can go a little ways and run traps, you know, in drier, drier conditions. You know how it is. If you can, if you can run 300 traps in dry dirt, you know you could run two thirds of those in frozen ground and if you're heads out and, and using wax dirt and that stuff. You can do it, but. Just makes it tough. Hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased to announce the launch of our exclusive community, Trapping Inc. Nation. We've created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies. By making this community subscriber exclusive, we can share thoughts and ideas freely without the censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming of Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Trolls will be a thing of the past, as not one will spend a nickel to protest on a paid site. Here you're going to get to see the new Trapping Inc. videos months ahead of YouTube and Amazon Prime availability. New podcasts will premiere here for a week as well, and we are going to be sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting, as well as our new TV series, Married to the Hunt. The forum is here for everyone to post on and interact. You can message us directly, post and interact with all the other subscribers, we ask that you be respectful and helpful. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level, of building a community of shared interest and interacting with you, our fans. Who knows where we can go from here? To sign up, just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account, then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe. $3 per month is the minimum fee we can charge, and that is where we have set it. That simple. Just go to locals.com, open a free account, and then subscribe to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about our way of life and the responsible and ethical management of the wild resources. And now back to today's show. When does your season start? Well, our, uh, a lot of our water animals starts November 1st. We don't have a season on coyotes, and wolves starts October 10th. So normally people just really start trapping when coyotes start furring up. And so, um, believe it or not, I start in the high country. I start in early October on those coyotes and they're not, they're not as good as November, but they sold plenty. They sold plenty good, uh, at the last few sales, the last three years. And so, you know, you're better off to get, in my opinion, you're better off to get stack up the semi heavies when we're going in dry dust and, and slamming traps in the ground, then wait until they're fully prime. Because again, I run out of, I run out of days on the calendar. I don't run out of country. So um, it would be, it would be feel foolish of me. I can stack up a whole bunch of semi heavies instead of waiting until they're fully, fully prime. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, your prices are much, uh, are much different right now between semi heavy and, and, uh, and fully prime. What would be a good season for you? Like how many canine would you catch in a good season? No, you know, we don't, uh, we don't, uh, a lot of times we don't even really keep track. We're just flinging coyotes in the back of the pickup and my dad and me um, just kind of pool ourselves together. But, you know, we've gotten, you know, oh, probably 130 or so, 140 coyotes 
Um, we do buy a lot on the carcass too, but as far as trapped ourselves, um, I have a little bit of restrictions now these past eight years because I, uh, I coach high school football. So every day I got to stop my day at 3.30 so I can make it to football practice. And, uh, you know, when it's game day, we got to be up super early and dad's got to run some of the sets for me as, uh, as well. So, um, but this last season, man, coyote numbers were really, really down. It was a tough season last year. Um, yeah, we noticed it here too. I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> I don't. I don't know uh, why we're. Are you hearing that feedback? No, I'm not hearing anything on my side. Huh. Okay. Okay. Then maybe it's not not important. <laughs> we uh, we had uh, pretty good coyote numbers last year, but the year before, I think uh, we maybe had parvo distemper or something because there was nothing for pups, nothing at all. And that that uh, probably drove the uh, the shortage of coyotes and, and drove the, the value up. You know, I mean, normally Alberta ships about forty to forty five thousand coyotes every every year to to auction, right? And then when you have a year when that when that's half that number, well, that that's a, a big dent in the in the market, right? Yeah, yeah. You yeah, have you guys got the best coyotes in the world, supposedly. You know, I don't know that we have the best in Alberta. I think Saskatchewan has the best. Yeah. They're, they're a little paler. They, 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 they're pale and they're, and they're small. Like, I mean, they still go, they still go large, extra large, like every coyote does out there, unless it's a pup, but they, uh, you know, 32 pounds would probably be the average, you know, for, for a male in, in Saskatchewan, but they just to get that white, white belly. And they're really, I don't find them as pretty to look at as I would, uh, you know, your, your coyotes are probably like mine, a little bit darker because you're in the, they're in, more in the mountains. They, you know, they're, they're bigger, bigger boned animals. Some of mine will run up to close to 40 pounds kind of thing. You know, the ones out in the big bush where they're, where they're competing with wolves. Well, you know, I mean, they, they, they have to be half wolf themselves because <laughs> every wolf, I, every coyote I catch on a wolf bait gets eight, you know, like, I mean, yeah. Uh, there's, there's, there's no forgiveness there whatsoever. You have uh, a lot of coyotes or not, pardon me, not coyotes, fox. You know, it's, it, it goes up and down. Um, I would say 15 years ago, we had just an explosion of fox. I mean, I didn't even really try too hard and we had 150 fox just right around you know, on our short, on our lines here, just catching them incidentally to coyote traps. And within three years, the same line, not doing anything different, we were like at 10 fox. And so when, in my experience, when mange comes through, it dents the coyotes, but it just annihilates fox. And so uh, we still mostly, mostly around here, the fox have a tough time surviving out in the sagebrush because they can't get away from the coyotes. And so it'll be, up in the high timber, uh, we'll catch a lot of fox, and then on the farm ground, and then when we get in the rock rims, trapping bobcats, those those fox will be in them rock rims. But out in this uh, flat desert country, um, not a lot of fox, and I think they just can't get away from the coyotes. Yeah, coyotes we do have. When I, get up the high, when I get up in the high country, we'll run fifteen percent cross fox, uh, and so quite a bit of color variation around my area too. Oh, that's beautiful. I like those cross foxes. I've, I've only ever actually caught one cross fox on my trap line in the big bush. And uh, she's on the wall. I had her had it done into a mount just because it was so, so pretty. I mean, the reds are beautiful too, but when you, uh, 
the fur ranching kind of ruined that because uh, you know when you have a red the size of a, of a small wolf, you know, <laughs> and they have a thousand of them in the uh, in the the building, it, it, it kind of ruins you know the way you think of those red fox. But they, uh, I know my son has the same situation in central Alberta where one year he'll you know he'll he'll catch thirty or forty reds and the next year he'll catch two, you know. Yeah. Yep. On your wolves now. Well, first tell me you must have a favorite trap. Yeah, you know, I uh I, again, it's kind of what you grew up with. We um, my dad had hundreds and hundreds of the old uh the old Montgomery Douglas 3s and 2s and 3s and 4s and I really got really got used to and really liked that dogless trigger design. And so we've dabbled in Bridgers. We've dabbled in um, some of the other, the no BS and the Bridger dogless and, and the Montanas. But uh, really that dogless design, if I had to buy one right now, right out of the box, probably those no BS traps are the, the best well-built traps that I've seen out of the box. But I'm probably like a lot of trappers you pick up, buy some traps from somebody, and so you do have a hodgepodge of a lot of different traps if you run enough of them. Montgomery was way ahead of his, his time with that uh, uh, dogless uh, pan, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, he probably doesn't get enough credit for it because that's, you know, one of the biggest design changes that's came in the, you know, in this foothold trap era. It's probably that Douglas design because a lot of people have copied him now. Yeah. When did when did he bring that out? Well, don't quote me, but I, I think it was the I think it was the late seventies when he was having that when it was really kind of when the coyote boom was going again. Oh, okay. But, uh, I don't know exactly. I, I I thought maybe it was the sixties, but it's it's amazing because I mean that, he was he was the first on that, and once you use a dogless trap i mean it's you don't want to go back i mean they, you never especially when you're dealing yeah. with the wolves right because wolves will will, yeah. will bend a dog up to make to make it useless <laughs> you know when they chew on chew on stuff right so that that dogless yeah. design is yeah. is pretty is pretty cool do you use um are yours offset or or padded or anything or just regular trap you know i've everybody kind of eventually has their own, you know, some people like Chevy, some people like Dodge, some are blonde or brunette guys. I like a dogless design with an offset. Um, I honestly think with any kind of land animals, uh, we don't have a rule in Idaho. I see some states down here do have an offset requirement, but I have everything offset. Everything's offset and, uh, Dogless designs would be my preference. Yeah, I'm I'm big on the offset as well. I don't I don't uh, care for the rubber. We can use also use rubber jaws. We are mandated to have um, laminated offsets or and or uh, the rubber jaws. And to me, up here, it gets cold cold enough that that rubber is just as hard as iron. And the whole idea behind the offset or or the rubber jaw is so that the blood flow keeps up in the paw, right? And so that they don't freeze the paw and then they don't chew the paw off. But I think that the rubber can get hard enough to, to, 
to get around that. You know, it doesn't doesn't stay soft in the in the really cold winter. The thing I, I really like about the offset is how much more it allows that jaw to close. You know, you're getting those, those springs are getting further up on the on the the jaws, and you're getting more pressure there. A lot of people don't don't seem to understand that. Well, and I've you know, and, and once you have someone's mind made up on something, it's pretty tough to convince them of anything different. But I've had a lot of bobcats by just you know one nub. I mean, just just barely right right at the claw. And I firmly believe if you didn't have an offset, it would just continue to pinch and pinch, and they get to twisting. And you know, back to your rubber jaw things. Our uh, I have a friend that has done a tremendous amount of uh, research and done a tremendous amount of collaring wolves. He's actually in the Minnesota Trapline uh, catalog. They call it the Jack Whitman special, those MB750s with the okay. setup. Well, that that Jack Whitman, he, the fishing game uh, were mandating him using rubber jaws and not to get graphic, but he told them, he says, if you make me use rubber jaws any longer, I, and this was on a 24 hour check in the summer putting collars on, he goes, I will not work for you guys anymore because it yeah. just kind of almost gets like yeah. a Chinese finger trap and it just kind of pinches and cinches and cinches down like tighter and tighter and tighter. And it just keeps working tighter. And uh, he had a lot less damage with, um, with an offset. And like I told you before, all the first wolves that I caught were caught in this offset traps and there wasn't a season yet. And we slapped a color on and, very very little foot damage on a on a wolf oh i in my I, opinion i totally and i mean i've caught my own dogs i don't know how many times you know i don't worry about it they it seems like every year or two they have to learn the lesson again and and uh they, they just sit there and you you take the, the trap off them and there's and you know there's no problems you have uh a 72 hour check law in uh, on footholds yes 72 hours yes okay you so have a, it does allow, it does allow quite a bit of, uh, you know, we have some wide open, wide open country and it does allow you on a coyote and cat line to get a lot farther out for sure. Yes. I, I agree. We have a 48 hour and I wish we had a 72 hour. You just, when you take the size of, of my trap line, uh, you know, I, I go out and I put 180 kilometers on a snowmobile in, in two days or pardon me, 180 miles. 300 kilometers and it just you know you you can't get back quick enough to you know to keep up to your 48 hour stuff right you know let alone giving things time to 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 calm down a bit from you you be in there you have a particular set that you like best a dirt hole a flat set what what's your favorite you know again we're kind of all get into our groove and, and you, you get anybody that long lines and they've got their go-to set. And a lot of our desert country is pretty in October, November, it's rock hard, really dry. And so I'm a flat set guy, you know, when, when it's, when it's, you can barely chop your bed out with your, with your hammer, you can barely chop your bed out for your trap. It's, being able to auger a dirt hole into the hard ground is, and I'm a lot of rocky ground. So your, your system kind of morphs over to, okay, I'm right in front of a cow chip, bed the trap, 
smear lure and go clump of grass. And so it's funny how your how your conditions uh, will change how you trap. Because my desert trap line, I'll go and my bait thing, I won't even use it all day long. And then I'll do my, my line up in the, the high country and I'll go through an entire big jug of bait because it's real easy there. You can take two fingers and dig a trap bed up in the pine duff and stuff. And here's a rotted off stump and something's already digging into the base of it. It's a half made dirt hole anyways. And you dig there, throw some bait in there and it just, so uh, I kind of go with what the situation uh, leads to, but I'm, I'm a big time flat set guy. You know, it's funny that you mentioned though that because a lot of people, when they're they're faced with those situations, that they, they will just go where where they can trap the way they want to trap. <laughs> you know, they if they are if they are a, a dirt hole guy, that, that that then they'd just be in the mountains all the time, right? Where where it's easy to dig those those dirt holes, as you were saying. You know, they they they're not as versatile to to, to change up. And I th I think that success comes to those who not only work hard but those those that really pay attention and like you said you know you, you can't uh, chop a hole in the ground to to put your trap in it's pretty hard to auger that that dirt hole do you have a particular bait that you believe in the most or oh we're not we're not real prejudiced on what kind of uh we we've we've made some baits that was like my grandfather's recipes and stuff but you know or big like Gorman and Draws and Andy Weiser and, and some of the big name baits and lures. And, and uh, the only thing that we will do is we do write down what bait and lure we use. So we kind of keep track and all have in the back of the pickup, all have a container that's, and it's, you know, you get one Gorman lure and I get the other and, and we kind of split it up. And so, I don't know if it's, yeah, there's some better lure makers out there, but I think having a change up is the key there. And so that's why dad only have some and I'll have some lures. And when we're putting sets 10 feet apart, even if it's a month into the season and we're forgetting what lures, I'll know that I'm never luring one of my sets with the lure that he has in his, out of his bucket out of the back of the pickup. And, you know, same thing, like he'll use coyote urine the whole season i'll use fox here in the whole season and so just so they're getting something different and i think that's the key thing there's a little bit played up on you know this this lure will pull them in from a half a mile away with 60 miles an hour winds and you know and, and make coyotes just appear out of thin air so i'd rather take i'd rather take great location and some you know leftovers off your table than the best lure in the world and a poor location, you know. But uh, trust me, I want every advantage I can. I take <laughs> if it, somebody's got good lures, I I want to try them. Oh, for sure. And I'm not a oh, big, you know, I I have I, jobs in the summer, and so I don't make a lot of lure because during that time I'll just it's easier for me just to buy a lure from somebody, and I got other stuff going on in the summer. I I know, and I'm I'm the same way when I uh, when I get a, a, a coyote or a wolf in a, in a, uh, a foothold or, you know, a dirt hole or, or whatever. Uh, everything that was there, the lure and the, the bait that was there, you know, it's, it's spread everywhere. So then at that point that I will change to a, to a different uh, bait or lure just because there that, that one smell is already everywhere and, and you want to have that one spot to, for them to fixate on. Right. Uh, 
the other stuff will still attract them. But if you if you're going to get him to put his foot in that that small area, that couple of inches that you want, he needs to be reaching over to put his nose on on the on what's different that that other lure, right? Yeah, definitely. And I'm in some places like uh, well, I trapped one of my wolves last year, and I was I was 50 feet from two mummified wolves that were killed in August by Wildlife Services. They were trapped right there. And so I knew for two months before this, they'd been trapped quite a bit, screwed with. And so, um, and then we went into some new coyote country later in the year and we go, oh, this looks nice. And we go down there and you can see a couple catch circles and I can still see some coyote sign there. And dad's like, well, heck, let's try it. And so we're trapping after somebody else has already been through there. So they've already been messed with with different lure and stuff. And so I think a change up is, is definitely good on, on coyotes do you do the same uh bait and lures for wolves or do you change that up you know i've tried to i've got a lot of i've i'm just trying wolf lures for the first time but all the guy all the wolves i've caught have been on a coyote lure and so and it's just i i wouldn't think twice about using fox lure you know uh, a canine is a canine i think we we worry too much. That's kind of a lure maker thing. This has got to be a fox number one, and you've got to have this. And and you know, give me a little beaver caster in there, and I could catch every every animal in the in that's out in the woods with just a little beaver caster. But um, I've gotten a couple wolf lures that I'm going to try for sure. But most everything's been off the coyote lure. One of the best for us is a wolf gland lure, and it's an actually made from the glands of the, of the wolf. And it smells surprisingly like a fox gland lure. <laughs> they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty, you know how a, a fox is, is pretty skunky, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, in, in comparison to a coyote and a wolf is, is also, it, it, it's funny. They're all, the Malbian canines that there'd be the difference. You are the president of the Idaho Trappers Association. Is that a, a big headache or, or are you having fun? <laughs> <laughs> well, at, at times it can be a little, it can be a little, uh, trying at times, but, uh, overall I really enjoy it. I, I enjoy, um, you know, for the 10 years, probably the 10 years before I was president, I was already thinking of things I wanted to change either in fishing game rules, legislative wise, association wise. And so it's been really rewarding to me to, make changes that I've wanted to do for quite a long time. But there's always the, the times where, you know, we, uh, we have something come up and, and uh, we've worked a long time on it. And then someone that's not even a member or doesn't help or anything uh, calls and, and chews you out because you didn't work hard enough on, on something. And so, you know how it is. There's, there's always somebody that's there to complain about certain things, but uh, for the most part, it's very rewarding. Yeah, we have people like that as well. <laughs> your government works hand in hand with you. Do they take your recommendations, or do you have one of those levels where you know you have a, a buffer between you and the guy that makes a decision? Usually around here, it's called a biologist, and and, and it doesn't always go well. You know, I will, I will say that we are an extremely lucky state. Um, our legislature is very heavily ag based. And so anything that's anything that eats a, 
a sheep or a cow is not uh, really in favor in Idaho. And so when we're trying to make um, new trapping laws and extensions, we have a lot of legislative support. Our fishing in commission is appointed by our governor, which is a big cattle and sheep rancher. And so we have a very pro trapping fishing game commission and uh, legislature. So it's been very good. And actually our biologist, he traps himself. So when we're talking about, hey, this size of conibear or this type of snare, he knows what he's talking about. He's trapped himself. He's a lifelong trapper. So I was really appreciative that our department actually hired a trapper and is not just like a, a fish biologist and has no idea about what a trap is and what man trapping management is. That's amazing. That's truly amazing because we have the fish biologist or I'm not even sure. I don't even know how they're a biologist unless it's just because they, they passed university. I, I don't know that they've ever caught a fish or they, they were, you know, involved in the outdoors whatsoever. What have been the, uh, your major accomplishments? What, what are you the, the proudest of getting changed? You know, just here in the last few years, we've been really getting aggressive with some other groups and um, we made major expansions with wolf trapping, um, some changes to equipment restrictions, and then just some longstanding um, things that have been in the, the regulations that no one's ever really tried to do. And so that really tried to change. And so developing those relationships with the Fishing Game Commission and the biologist and the Fishing Game Director and then having that working relationship. And so it's say Martin trapping is closed in two counties. Well, it's been that way since the eighties. Well, has anybody ever pushed the subject? Well, no, they haven't went through the trouble. And so bringing it to the department. And uh, so we've got some otter restrictions lifted and some, uh, some Fox and Martin restrictions that were just there forever. And probably this, this wolf trapping, we've expanded wolf trapping, made great links on, uh, the trapping area and earlier seasons and worked with multiple different groups to get that passed. And it's pretty, uh, it was, if I showed you the graphs on where our wolf seasons were three years ago compared to now, it would just really floor you. So we've made major progress on that. You repatriated the wolves, right? You brought, uh, I don't know that Idaho got any from Alberta. I think you got them from BC, didn't you? Oh, I think they were from Alberta. Actually, what is that? They call them, uh, where's Mackenzie Valley? Is that in Alberta or? No, the Mackenzie, well, yeah, it depends. Depends okay. on, on where they want it. But usually the Mackenzie Valley is re re referred to as the, as the territories, Northwest Territories. Mm -hmm. I, I believe, I believe it did, they did come from, from Alberta, but uh, yeah, and we, I try to I try to steer conversations away from the whole, um, you know, they were reintroduced in the late '90s. I was just kind of getting out of high school, and we can go rounds and rounds about whether they should have been there, or if they should have got a, a smaller variety that wasn't from Alberta, or if they even should have been here in the first place. Uh, really, all of that is spilt milk. You know, that's the the wolves aren't going anywhere. They're all the way across. Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and now dipping into Oregon and Washington. And so you're better off trying to make change and manage what's here. You know, if I was in a state that 
wasn't giving us any management, it'd be a little different deal, but the wolves aren't leaving. And so this, you know, shoot, shovel and shut up and all this stuff. I just don't see what that's gaining a guy now. And so, you know, we have very, very good. I mean, we have year round, year round or 11 month hunting seasons for the entire state. And we have six month trapping seasons. And so um, we have a couple areas that we're trying to expand a little more trapping in, but really we have better um, trapping and hunting seasons than anyone in the lower 48. So, and I might mention, I am a, if you have you seen anything on that foundation for wildlife management yes sir that's that that reimbursement program yep i talked with uh, the president um roger uh robert roman robert roman yes yes i had him on the podcast he was a wonderful guy to talk to yeah yeah he is an interesting guy but uh so that that program we really saw how much uh how much momentum they were gaining how many members they were getting and so um, the year before I became president, they have an executive director named Justin Webb, and he travels all around promoting them, putting on banquets. And so I talked him into running for the board of directors for ITA, and I ran for the board of directors for F4WM. And so now when we come for Wolf Changes, even though their main directive is really raising money for these reimbursements, but they would also come for changes with the uh, department. And now instead of them coming with a set of changes and us coming with a set of changes, we get together and we're on each other's board and we come to the department with one set of changes and we both endorse each other. And so we really, it's helped a lot trying to work together on those. And so then the department doesn't have to pit us against each other, so to speak. Well, and it's funny how often we have to reinvent the wheel, isn't it? Because we, in, Back when I was a very young pup, you know, 50 years ago, there was one organization in Alberta. There was Alberta Fishing Game Association. That was it. And they had, you know, at their peak, they had 30,000, 40,000 members. And then we started fragmenting ourselves. Then there was Pheasants for Forever, and there was uh, Trout Unlimited, and the, and the, the Bow Hunters Association, and and on and on and on and we just kept slicing up you know we had the same pie there but we kept slicing into into smaller pieces and and every time you sliced another piece off your voice got that much less loud you know you didn't have that much that that as much respect and the government actually got really good at playing us off against one another i've sat on several different uh, uh, government uh, functions uh, one was ag mag or something anyway it was it was all user groups and so there was uh, i think i was sitting there um for SCI or wild sheep, but I mean, you see what I'm, you see what I'm saying is there's all these different organizations, and they would just take and if they didn't want something to go forward or whatever, they would just partner up with some, with one of the other groups, and you know they, they they would they they would just keep us fighting with one another, and then we're not forced uh, they're not forced to, to deal with us. So you guys actually you know forming that coalition again and and having common cause and and uh, support for it. That's a good way to go. So let me tell you something real quick. You know, actually, the though this may get me in trouble in certain groups, but the reintroduction of the wolf has been the absolute best thing for trapping in the state of Idaho. And the reason is, is because they have common enemy. And then when I call livestock groups, they're like, oh, okay, you know, if, if I'm calling them about some otter changes, nobody picks up my phone. But no. 
if I'm calling about wolf changes, everybody's jumping on the, the line to, uh, to support us. And with these, we have two very strong hound organizations in Idaho. And at times, houndsmen and trappers have butted heads. Well, now with the wolf, we are having tremendous, there's places where hound hunters just can't even go in because there's so many wolves. And before they were really being trapped, they had no fear in man. And so they couldn't get to their dogs fast enough and their dogs were getting stretched and ripped in pieces. So they were one of the biggest proponents on, we need more wolf management. And so it was funny. We went to, it was a commission meeting. We were going to, it was kind of a groundbreaking deal. We were going to get these October openers for wolves instead of November. And a lot of this high country, it's hard going in November starting the season. Um, but we met with the hound hunters and we had dinner and drinks before this. And we sat down and said, Hey, there may be the chance that your dogs get caught in a wolf trap. They'll be fine. But we're going to have a lot more wolves being taken. And so we sat down, went over and they said, yes, we will endorse this plan. So we walk across the street to have the meeting. And one of the main commissioners that I couldn't really get to come around in this earlier season walks right up to me. We're five minutes before this big public testimony. And he said, we're never going to get the hound hunters to sign off on this October opener. And I said, see that right over there? There's both presidents and a whole pile of board members. They're all going to testify in favor of supporting this trapping season. And it was just kind of a, a look on his face. And he was like, oh, okay. And now that we had Lyle livestock groups, the hound groups, then bow hunters get up there and testify, hey, we want it. Then it's a lot easier. They don't have the flack. And so they're like, okay, well, they've kind of covered their butt. Okay, yeah, we can, uh, we can endorse this plan. But if you had all these other groups going up there, oh, I don't want this for – and so uh, common – common allies make it a lot easier to get these proposals pushed through. Oh, that, 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 that's awesome. It's amazing that I had a very similar experience and same, same situation where they, they tried to, you know, use one group against the other. You're never going to get their, their permission in that. We've seen it coming. We've seen it coming. And so uh, there were six groups and I got five of them to sign on. And so when they stood forward and said, well, you know, well, Bull hunters aren't going to aren't going to want to do this, and the, and you know, and, and I I stood up and, and said, no, we've already agreed. Every, everybody's agreed. Now he, the ball's in your court. And I mean that that particular working group, uh, you know, had the mandate that w- what it handed over to the government was supposed to be enacted on. Um, it only lasted a few more years, and after that, they didn't give us quite as much leeway. But it was good. It was good to yeah. see where, where we could go if if we had some common ground. And it's I find with trapping people find us to be a necessary evil so the hound hunters want you to 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 be there uh you know so that their hounds aren't getting ripped up with with coyotes and that you know the 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 cattlemen don't want want it around there's a lot of we have the cities of Edmonton and calgary and there are people who make livings trapping coyotes out of them you know because there's fluffy and, and 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 clarabelle the cat that are you know getting ate all the time and and that kind of stuff Best thing that can ever happen is, is, is a coyote trot down the street with a cat hanging out of his mouth because now you don't have any problems with, with your coyote trapping, you know? Yep, yep. No, that's absolutely right. So they, when they need us, then, then we become a necessary evil. So it's, it's always to, to stay relevant, uh, whether it's 
in cases of uh, of our big predators, you know, like our apex predators, like the wolves, or whether it's uh, for control of, of uh, muskrats. Like we have had, in my lifetime, Tularema has swept through Alberta three times. And when Tularema goes through, I mean, you, you won't see muskrats again for, for five, six years, sometimes 10 years or, or more before you see your first muskrat. But the worst thing about Tularema, it might might wipe out your, your uh, uh, herd of cattle as well. It might wipe out your mm -hmm. favorite saddle horse. You know, I mean, people can get Tularema. And that's that's what when we're needed. It, it, we're, we're that we're that buffer between civilization and the wild. You know, we're, we we we're that shock absorber, and we make up the difference. You guys are kind of unique. Then in Idaho, you don't have a lot of problem with the antis. Um, we do have some, and that's why uh, that's why I've worked really hard to get these other groups. You know, maybe some people are like, "Why are you?" donating a wolf pelt to the hound hunters banquet for them to auction off why are you donating a wolf to the cattlemen's association well we want those allies in our corner um when anti-trapping stuff comes up and just in may there was a proposal to uh put a trap sign you they were going to require a trap a sign that has says traps ahead or caution traps 20 feet from every trap well, that's where getting that outreach out and having these common allies, because to the general hunter, he's like, well, I'll bet Rusty only has three or four traps on his trap line. That's not much for him asking for him. Yeah. But yeah. we already had, you know, all these friends and these organizations. And so calling up and explain to him, hey, can you tell your groups, this is the situation right now. It's going to completely kill long lining. And, uh, you know, we had those relationships with the commission already. So we call them up and, and, uh, I always equate it to, uh, you know, if you have a, if you have an uncle you've never talked to before and you call him at <clears throat> three in the morning to bail you out of jail, he's like, I haven't talked to you in five years, but if you've kept that relationship going, you know, <laughs> we had this trap sign thing. It was right in the middle of all this virus going on. We didn't have much time. We had 10 days. And so I already had a working relationship with the cattlemen, the wool growers, bow hunters, and I called them up. I'm like, man, I need a, I need a strong letter from you, uh, stating your position. I need some help. And uh, but we do have some anti-hunting, uh, anti-trapping uh, pressure in this state, but it's, it's nothing like Oregon and Washington. We're pretty blessed in this state. It is so funny it's talking so to you, you in Idaho and uh, the folks in Wyoming and, and uh, Montana and that you have such a strong uh, trapping uh, history and, and, you know, lot, lot, lots of trappers, you know, it, it's lively and uh, uh, thriving. And then you go to Washington and, and uh, Oregon. Is, is salt hard on your brain or what's, <laughs> why, why, why do they hate trapping there? <laughs> oh, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's kind of, you know, if you look at a map, I don't really know the political demographics of Canada very well, but it's funny, the urban-rural divide, mm. like if you look at the last few presidential elections, the state, the, each state that votes for a president isn't as, um, isn't as, doesn't pop your eyes out as same as if it goes county by county, you can really see all the population centers where, you know, where they vote completely different than rural, yeah. uh, rural, the rural areas. And, 
you know, a lot of that, they say it's the Californian uh, population has went up the coast there. And so really it's just the coastal areas of Oregon and Washington. You know, there's been some proposals to um, redraw the state lines. And so take Eastern Oregon and Washington and make them part of Idaho because we think a little differently um, than those states. And in Northern Idaho, you get some of that anti stuff that comes across, but uh, that's why it's ever more important to have a strong association and have a strong coalition of hunting organizations as well. Absolutely. Well, I enjoy talking where to uh, people where they're not all down in the mouth and, and we're, we're going to lose all our rights and that. I, I was talking to a fellow from Colorado and like, I mean, I think after he got done talking with me, I think he even jumped out his window. Like, I mean, he was so depressed that, that you know, all they could use is cage traps and that kind of stuff. Uh, you guys have got something special there in, in Idaho. Do you have a website if, if people want to check out uh, Idaho Trappers? Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd love It's just real simple, www.idahotrappersassociation.com. And if people are interested, we have a very uh, active Facebook page. I try and put stuff on a couple times a week. And it's just Idaho Trappers Association. And uh, our membership is is just $20. And uh, we have a quarterly magazine. Uh, I am a member of Alberta. It's not quite as good. Alberta is about the, actually, it's the best magazine that I've ever seen um, for, a, for a state run magazine. But we have a, a magazine and a very strong, uh, we have a, actually a very strong uh, organization that's, we're pushing about 700 members out of, you know, 2000, that doesn't sound like much, but there's some states with like 5,000 trapping license and like 300 members. And so yeah. Yeah. it is a shame that people won't think twice about getting a case of beer from the gas station on the way home, but oh, 25 bucks for a member trapping membership to, uh, to protect your rights is that's just blast me too much money. And that's, we I try and make sure they have money. You know, they know where their money's going. We go to every, fishing game meeting and we're very involved and very active. I, I can remember in Alberta when for years and years and years, it was $5 to be a member of the Alberta Trap Association. And then they, they bumped it up to 30 or $35. And it was the end of the world that like, I mean, there were old trappers riding the streets and I looked at them and I said, you know, you realize that $5 doesn't even pay for them to, to, for the form and to fill out and to lick the stamp and to mail it to you. I, I says, I mean, get real, <laughs> you know, like what are you expecting for, for $5 for crying out loud? Yeah. And asking some other provinces up there, it sounds like Alberta's has just about the, one of the strongest trapping organizations in all of Canada. So we, we have a good like one. Very, we do very active. Yeah, we are. We are. Well, man, I appreciate the time that you've taken here. And um, if this stupidity ever ends and they open the border, I'd like to come down and, and do some, uh, spend some time on Trapline with you and uh, take the camera along, maybe, maybe get you on TV. A anytime you can come along. We, when it's October, November, it's, uh, we've got a lot of sets in the ground on a lot of different, uh, different, different terrains. So you're always welcome. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, for joining us today and everybody, I uh, hope you had a good time and we'll talk to you again.